Hey everyone, I want to tell you about a great new podcast. It's called The Election Ride Home. Someone is going to challenge Donald Trump for the White House. The Election Ride Home is a podcast dedicated to figuring out who that someone, or maybe even multiple someones, will end up being. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist and This American Life contributor Chris Higgins catches you up on what happened on the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction? What do the polls say? It's a 15 to 20 minute show that keeps track of all the latest and summarizes it so you don't have to be nervously refreshing your web browser up to 12 times a day. It's like TLDR as a service. So if you want to catch up on what you missed on your way home, search your podcast app and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin, and today I'm joined by Rob Anderson, who is uh, looking to run for Congress a second time down in Louisiana. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. Uh, Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for having me. These things are always fun, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I've been following you on social media uh, for a while now, and I must say that you have a sharp wit, a sharp tongue, and you're not afraid to speak the truth. So um, before we dive into your current exploratory committee, I would love to learn a little bit more about your background. Um, What got you to where you are today? Oh, okay. Well, that's a valid question. And the short answer is the 2016 election of Donald Trump. Uh, got me to where I am today. I am a lifelong blue-collar worker. Uh, I was a driller. I was a home builder. Uh, I worked in IT briefly in an office uh, for banks, um, a variety of fields. But the last one I was in was drilling, geotechnical drilling specifically. And then uh, my children were grown, and my wife and I sort of had an empty nest syndrome. And uh, I was laid off of drilling. Um, you know, the economy was shifting in that field. So I began to take my, you know, sort of couch approach to yelling at the TV about politics and the, the state of uh, politics in the world and sort of went pro with it. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turned pro. And that's basically how it happened. And uh, I was uh, in a financial position where I could take time off and just uh, dedicate it to helping other people and uh, started running on uh, um, honesty and integrity in politics, which is completely lost in these days since uh, Citizens United um, and uh, money in politics. So that's what got me involved. 
And what's interesting, I think, is you have sort of an atypical or non-traditional background for politics. You said, you know, you took your attitude of yelling at the television about the state of politics and decided to do something with it. But you're not the career politician. You're not a lawyer. Um, you're not the traditional no. politician. How has that helped to inform your approach to politics? Um, the, the word I use for that, and I love uh, teaching people new vocabulary, is uh, verisimilitude. Uh, I am what I am because that's exactly what I am. I believe in truth in politics, and I live that. I don't sell it. Um, I have never been involved uh, other than, you know, I voted every year, and I started, I volunteered for Bill Clinton back in 92 was the uh, first campaign I got involved with, but I was always an amateur at politics. You know, I did my civic duty. I went out and I voted. Um, I did some canvassing and campaigning, but mostly I was raising a family. Uh, my wife and I next year will be our 30th anniversary. Um, we've just, I've just been a normal, boring family guy. And when I saw the direction- Congratulations on 30 well, years. Thank you. Uh, it was, it was tough. You could ask my wife about that separately sometime, but <laughs> she put up with a lot, but here What's we are. What's the secret? Uh, the secret is communication. Um, that's the short version, but it's the truth. Um, you know, you can't say that, uh, you know, we don't fight. Of course we fight. We disagree about many things, but we always agree to talk about it. Um, and then you find that you work your way through. I it. feel like there are lessons for politics in that too. Oh, imagine that. Um, so verisimilitude is what it is. I am uh, just an honest, normal, boring, uh, working guy who uh, got into politics for that reason that, uh, you know, there's nothing to investigate in my past, so I'm quite open about everything. I had a marijuana arrest in 1987 for smoking a joint on the beach, and there I've just done my all my opposition's research for them. Um, and I am pro-cannabis, so it, it stays in character. You know, I am pro-cannabis legalization, descheduling it as a as a uh, Schedule One narcotic on a federal level, which is moronic, obviously, uh, for that to be the case. But since we know why marijuana was originally made illegal in the 30s because of the fear of the Mexican immigration, it, it does seem to be coming full circle back to where we are now. To the point about decriminalizing and... Uh, even making uh, recreational marijuana legal. You know, mm -hmm. we have people sitting in jail for something that three out of the last four presidents have done and admitted to. Um, so clearly oh, there's course. a double standard there, and clearly that, that that's not right. Um, so I appreciate you, you coming out in favor of that. I want to talk a little bit about your feel for Louisiana politics. Mm -hmm. um, here on the podcast, we interviewed uh, Josh Mahoney, who's running as a Democrat for Senate in Arkansas. We've interviewed uh, Chris Suprin, who's running for Congress in Texas. Mm -hmm. And now we have mm -hmm. you on the podcast running for Congress in Louisiana. So we're, we're trying to do a sweep of the South here a little bit. Absolutely. And something that I've picked up on, not only on my own travels, but in speaking with these people is that by and large, there seems to be a real resentment or angst around Democrats in the South. Is that mm -hmm. something that you also witness? There's kind of this like 
real skepticism about anyone that has a D next to their name. How have you found that you can combat that? Okay. Well, first of all, I will say that you're, you're putting it very politely and very nicely. Um, part of, well, Southern politics are complicated uh, because, as you know, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party almost used to have uh, inverse positions 100 years ago. Uh, the Democrats yep. were, the, were the party of uh, segregation. They were. Um, you know, and Lincoln was a re- Republican who uh, pushed for the Emancipation Proclamation and thus, you know, freed the slaves. And the Reconstruction period was a very difficult one in the time in the South, and it's, and it's still ongoing because of uh, Jim Crow laws. We've never really acknowledged that the South lost the war because there was no punitive measures taken by the North. Um, not really. Not, you know, normally when a, a, an opposing side in a war, for example... Uh, is forced to change its ways in order to get rebuilt. You know, you look at the Marshall Plan and how well Europe is doing now compared to what uh, happened in World War II, which was, you know, an atrocious worldwide travesty. And Germany is now, you know, the superpower of Europe. And part of that was, you know, requiring them to acknowledge that Nazism was bad, for example. But in the South, uh, we sort of built up. And not only are they the superpower, they are also the liberal superpower. Oh, amazing. The one that promotes liberal ideals and they don't tolerate far right Nazism or symbols of Nazism. Right. They they culturally made that shift and they're pushing big for renewable energy and uh, a, a very clean country. Uh, it's lovely. I've been to Germany uh, just last year. No, two years ago. Visited um, Austria, and uh, we can learn a lot from them. But uh, the Jim Crow era in the South, at any rate, um, sort of just put uh, the the inherent racism uh, of white supremacy um, took it out of legislation, but it was still, you know, it was still the rule of the land. So we have grown past that, and when the Civil Rights Act of 64 and LBJ, a Southern Democrat, that's when the parties really shifted, and the Republicans became the party of conservatism, and Democrats became the part of diversity and inclusion. So to answer your question, after all that exposition, um, I don't acknowledge propaganda by answering it. So the, the entrenched Republicans here sell the idea that Democrats are corrupt. Um, it's almost uh, like calling, you know, accusing others of that which you are guilty. So uh, people meet me and they realize I'm just a working guy. I'm one of them. You know, tattoos and, and you know, just a regular old guy. And that it happens to be a driller who's read a book is how I describe myself. As, you know, I'm no different than anybody else but so that I could tell them the messaging you're getting from the Republicans who run strictly on corrupt old boy networks and oil money isn't necessarily the truth because you can see with your own eyes that, you know, I'm just one of you. I'm just a working guy who wants uh, decency back in politics. Um, I have nothing against the oil and gas industry per se. Let's make that clear. Um, it is the lifeblood of the, the Gulf region. But I do believe that uh, all industries should be accountable for their own mess. So I'm more in favor of regulation than, of course, Republicans are because 
they don't want to be seen as anti-business, but I think it's irresponsible to allow business to poison the Gulf and poison our, you know, our wonderful fishing grounds uh, in the name of profit. And do you find that that message resonates with your neighbors and your community? It does, uh, because it becomes apparent after you talk to me for 10 minutes that I'm not a career politician. I'm not somebody who's being paid to throw pop propaganda down. I'm just a guy who's, you know, with a big mouth. <laughs> you know, I, I just stand up and say, hey, they're lying to us. You know, we want clean air. We want clean water. No, we don't want to lose jobs. But, you know, uh, we, we're we not going to have anywhere to hunt if the Gulf keeps encroaching on our lands. We're losing acres of land every day uh, to the Gulf here in Louisiana. It's It's been ongoing for years. And the Republicans say, yeah, that's, that's terrible. We should probably think about that at some point. Um, and whether or not you call it climate change is irrelevant. You know, the fact is that it's happening. You know, we are losing Cameron Parish as part of my district, where I will be running very soon. Uh, by the way, November 1st is the official announcement uh, for when I file with the FEC. So it's called exploratory till then, but it's just illegality. I will be running. And Cameron Parish is part of LAO3. And it's, you know, you go down there and people are losing their fishing camps, literally. Even if they see it happening in front of them, Mm -hmm. and they witness it with their own eyes, mm -hmm. they still, based on, historically speaking, they still cannot bring themselves to vote for a Democrat. And I think that leads to a lot of people in my neighborhood and on the coast to look at the South and say, why are they voting against their own self-interest, which can come mm -hmm. across as condescending. Um, there is an element of truth to it. So I, I want to just get your perspective on how do we manage to empathize with uh, these people, relate to these people, but still get them to understand that if you want to save the environment, your communities, maintain your way of life, if you will, really you should be voting for the Democrats in these races. True. Um, I think we have to, in the South especially, um, it's a current, it's a real problem. I think we have to re- I don't want to say rebrand the Democratic Party, but when I go around and I campaign and I'm going, you know, door to door and I'm going to these little meetings, the Kiwanis clubs and the coffee houses and the, all the little setups we do, you're not voting for a Democrat. You're voting for Rob Anderson. Rob Anderson lives in this district. Rob Anderson cares. And I know that sounds like polit politician speak, but I'm not selling, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer and the stuff they're hearing about in the national news. I'm selling, here's a guy, I align with the Democratic Party, but here's a guy in your district telling you, I've read the, I've read the papers, and you're losing land, and let's do something, and I don't care what my opponent says, the incumbent. And when you say it that way, you break through. It's one-on-one. -on -one. That's what grassroots is about, and that's why it works. You know, I'm not selling a polished package. It's just, you know, I'm selling truth. Truth is easy to sell. Right, because you never have to, to tell a lie. So for our listeners here, who or what platform would you be running on? I was going to ask, who do you most identify with? But I, I'd rather actually talk about the issues that are important to you and, and that would, would go into your platform. 
Uh, well, I, my platform was was built and designed by me uh, specifically. I, I do a very science and data-based uh, platform. I originally sat down when I first sat down and had a meeting with a friend of mine, and he said, you know, you're the type of guy who should run for Congress. That's how I got into this trouble uh, a couple of years back. And then so I literally sat down and wrote everything I believe in that I can verify with numbers and facts. So I am, uh, let's get a controversial one out of the way here in the South, I am pro-choice because I don't think that the government should be taking away the right to privacy inherent in the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade. And I don't believe men especially, but any politician should be telling women uh, what health care they should discuss with their doctors. I don't, I don't see that as a religious issue because I do believe in the First Amendment. I, I believe religion and government should go their own way. They should stay separate. So um, I can argue uh, pro-choice, and if and it's verifiable. There's data to back it up. I am uh, a believer that the climate is changing and that we should address it. Um, I don't have a polished package of what do we do, you know, what, whether you sign on to the Green New Deal or not. The Green New Deal is very popular up north. It's not popular down south. What they think of is if the Green New Deal happens, everybody in Louisiana is unemployed. That's their spin on it. So are they right or are they wrong? Well, let's look at it. What we do need to do is address it, um, which is not even happening at this, at the, you know, in the South. We are not addressing climate change in any way. We're not even pretending it's real or not. We're just not talking about it. So we do need to address climate change. We do need to address all of the things that corporate donors are telling the incumbents not to address. We need to work on facts and not, you know, uh, uh, donations. You know, people, as I put it, uh, people, uh, corporations pay my opponent for his opinion. And people donate to me because of my opinion. I don't believe in what somebody pays me to do. If you like what I'm saying, feel free to donate to the campaign. I'm just trying to fight for what's right. I assume you're not taking special interest money or no, corporate PAC dollars? Right. No corporate money, no dark money. Uh, we're by the people, for the people. Now, as I have stressed, because I clarify, I am a different kind of politician. If the CEO of Exxon feels like donating to me personally, fine. But I'm not going to change my positions because of any one donor. That's my point. But certainly no corporate PACs, no special interests, no paid lobbyists, shall we say. The maximum donation on a federal level is, uh, what is it this year? The FEC just changed it, $2,800. You know, $2,800 isn't enough to make me change my beliefs. So <laughs> that's the way I look at it. When you talk to people in your community, do they understand the difference between being grassroots funded or funded by special interest money? Um, the term gets bandied around a lot because we ran on that last time too and there are other candidates currently doing uh, for example Antoine Pierce who's running as a Democrat for Senate against Cassidy in, in, in our state right now so a mild shout out, shout out for Antoine there um, he's also running the grassroots version you know funded by the people going to every community talking to everybody it's the model that Democrats are leaning towards especially down here because we're not going to get uh, big corporate interest investing in Democrats down here. It's just not going to happen. Uh, they're always going to be geared towards the Republicans because 
the Republicans will just do what they're told, and therefore they have big war chests. Now, that sounds dismissive, but, I mean, when you look at the data, it seems to be true. So I don't mean to sound so partisan. I have a lot of problems with what Democrats do on the national level as well. Let me be clear. But uh, I have to align with the Democrats because uh, right now I think uh, the GOP is doing terrible things to our national government. And the rule of law is being suppressed and attacked constantly and breaking the law on TV in broad daylight. Um, so, you know, they call it the resistance. And, yeah, I'm part of that. I, I do not advocate uh, for uh, wealthy people trying to reshape the Constitution to suit themselves. It's for the people. It's for people like me, people like you, the individuals. If you were in the House of Representatives right now, would you vote to impeach Donald Trump? Well, right now they're in the middle of an impeachment inquiry, and yes, I support that fully. The vote for impeachment hasn't come down yet, so you're jumping the gun. You always have to do the investigation first. Don't you think we have enough evidence to impeach him? It, it, it appears to me that we do, um, and that might be going out on a limb, but uh, just from the emoluments violation and the, uh, oh, I just looked this up, uh, 52 USC 30121, I think it is, uh, about foreign powers interfering or asking them to contribute to a, uh, you know, a, an election campaign that appears to be cut and dry. So yes, I would vote to impeach based on that. Um, but there always has to be a factual route to it. That's why I was cautioning against jumping the gun. But yeah, I would vote to impeach. Yes, you always want to 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 have the facts before you arrive at a decision. But I, I did want to just make the point that he went on national television and, and asked and encouraged two foreign countries uh, to investigate his main political opponent. And that, that alone does seem to me to be impeachable, yes. And uh, I've heard the counterspin, but you always have to make sure motion takes a backseat. Do I dislike the man? That has nothing to do with it. Do I feel that he has violated our constitution? And is usurping the rule of law? Absolutely. And on that basis, yes, I would vote to impeach. If they can, if they can vote to an impeach uh, a president for lying about a blowjob, then yeah, I'm thinking asking a foreign power to investigate a political rival uh, is impeachable. Yeah, yeah. So I want to transition a little bit and go back to your background. As I was prepping for this interview, I found uh, a Reddit AMA, Ask Me Anything, that you did um, prior to the 2018 elections. I um, thought it was really well done. And I, I saw that you have owned two businesses and you said you sold one and lost the other to the Great Recession. Tell me about your experience Adversity. How did you overcome that challenge? What was that experience like for you? Okay. Well, the first one went well, as I had said in the AMA. There was a print shop in uh, New York City, uh, which we sold to a larger conglomerate and made out well. And then we moved to the suburbs because by then my kids were old enough that New York was becoming uh, expensive in which to live. Uh, Fair enough. And then the other one was a home building business that I had in Maryland, which was right before the housing bubble burst. And I ended up upside down with a lot of my own money tied into a house and then, uh, yeah, lost everything, so to speak. Uh, so overcoming adversity. Well, uh, psychologically, it's tough. Um, I'd had a house and a car and a wife, and, you know, two kids and 
and a business and a pretty good income. And then after that, I still had the, the wife and the two kids and my car uh, and everything else was gone, including the business and the good income. Uh, so we regrouped. We went back with family. Uh, my family took us in. That's how we ended up back down south. And, you know, we just kind of uh, struggled and scraped until I could get back into drilling. You know, we got by, covered a bunch of debts and just paid off stuff. And then I got back into drilling and went back to work, just working for somebody else instead of myself that time. Is there anything um, that I didn't ask that you would like our, our audience to know about you? Oh, you could ask about uh, my multitude of skills, painting. I'm a musician paid musician, paid painter, and a writer with a couple of books. Um, yeah, I am an intellectual. Uh, what genre are. of music are you into? Uh, mostly rock and roll, but I do play jazz as well um, on bass. I play bass guitar and piano. Um, but I haven't done that in a while. Awesome. That was back when, uh, before I opened the second business. That was a few years ago. I still have my guitar and I fiddle around on it, but uh, yeah, that's a young young person's game unless you're doing it full-time i have two more questions for you okay far away since you said that you are an intellectual what would be some books a book or two books that you would recommend uh, anyone who hears this listens to or reads? oh uh okay a couple of formative books well one for me that got me turned on to politics actually in the 80s i discovered it um while he was still alive hunter s thompson was the great shark hunt and in his entire oeuvre, actually, uh, the Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 uh, about the McGovern-Nixon campaign was a, a brilliant book on politics. Hunter S. was, I mean, he was a gonzo journalist, but he was absolutely insightful about politics. So I'd recommend uh, definitely Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 for uh, anybody, especially anybody who might listen to me. And under wonder how I got so insanely involved in politics in such a short time. I'd had an interest my entire life, and uh, Hunter S. Thompson's writing, writing turned me on to that. Um, another one, let's see, uh, the works of Harlan Ellison I love, but uh, probably my single favorite book uh, about the bizarre paranoia of, the, of society would be uh, Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said by Philip K. Dick. It's a wonderful book. Excellent. We'll have to check those out. Mm -hmm. And then my last question for you today, sure. if anyone listening wants to learn more about you or get more involved um, in your campaign, how could they do so? Uh, well, my DMs are open on Twitter. Twitter is my uh, primary social media tool. I am on uh, Facebook. I have a couple of pages, including Rob Anderson for Louisiana, which is the same name as my Twitter page, obviously. Um, and then my personal account, which most people can't find because it's not public. But uh, Rob Anderson for Louisiana, I read those messages uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I don't give up my email until I've made communication further. Uh, pretty soon here we will have the campaign set up with uh, those emails and websites, you know, to be, to be announced, so to speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, give me a shout out on Twitter is always the fastest way, you know, send me a DM. I always answer. I'm the only one who reads my Twitter account. So.
So, Rob, thank you so much for for coming on. Um, Absolutely, really thank you for having it. me. And for our listeners, check us out on iTunes. Rate us five stars. That's how people find us. Find us online, uh, millennialpolitics.co. Visit our Patreon, patreon.com/slash millenpolitics. And of course, stay tuned for our next episode. Thanks. Mm-hmm.